Question 42 of Summa Theologica Tertia Pars, Treatise on the Saviour. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Tertia Pars, Treatise on the Saviour, by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 42 of Christ's Doctrine in Four Articles We have now to consider Christ's doctrine, about which there are four points of inquiry. First, whether Christ should have preached to the Jews only, or to the Gentiles also. Second, whether in preaching he should have avoided the opposition of the Jews. Third, whether he should have preached in an open or in a hidden manner. Fourth, whether he should have preached by word only or also by writing. Concerning the time when he began to teach, we have spoken above when treating of his baptism, in question 29, article 3. First article. Whether Christ should have preached not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Objection 1. It would seem that Christ should have preached not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. For it is written in Isaiah 49, verse 6, It is a small thing that thou shouldest be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Israel, and to convert the dregs of Jacob. Behold, I have given thee to be the light of the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation, even to the farthest part of the earth. But Christ gave light and salvation through his doctrine. Therefore, it seems that it was a small thing that he preached to the Jews alone, and not to the Gentiles. Objection to further, as it is written, in Matthew 7, verse 29, he was teaching them as one having power. Now the power of doctrine is made more manifest in the instruction of those who, like the Gentiles, have received no tidings whatever. Hence the Apostle says in Romans 15:20, I have so preached the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Therefore, much rather should Christ have preached to the Gentiles than to the Jews. Objection 3. Further, it is more useful to instruct many than one. But Christ instructed some individual Gentiles, such as the Samaritan woman in John 4, and the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15. Much more reason, therefore, was there for Christ to preach to the Gentiles in general. On the contrary, our Lord said in Matthew 15, 24, I was not sent but to the sheep that are lost of the house of Israel. And in Romans 10, verse 15, it is written, How shall they preach unless they be sent? Therefore Christ should not have preached to the Gentiles. 
I answer that it was fitting that Christ's preaching, whether through himself or through his apostles, should be directed at first to the Jews alone. First, in order to show that by his coming the promises were fulfilled which had been made to the Jews of old and not to the Gentiles. Thus the Apostle says in Romans 15 verse 8, I say that Christ was minister of the circumcision, that is, the apostle and preacher of the Jews, for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Secondly, in order to show that his coming was of God, because as is written in Romans 13 verse 1, those things which are of God are well ordered. Now the right order demanded that the doctrine of Christ should be made known first to the Jews, who by believing in and worshipping one God were nearer to God, and that it should be transmitted through them to the Gentiles. Just as in the heavenly hierarchy, the divine enlightenment comes to the lower angels through the higher. Hence, on Matthew 15, verse 24, I was not sent but to the sheep that are lost in the house of Israel, Jerome says. He does not mean by this that he was not sent to the Gentiles, but that he was sent to the Jews first. And so we read in Isaiah 66, verse 19, I will send of them that shall be saved, that is, of the Jews, to the Gentiles, and they shall declare my glory unto the Gentiles. Thirdly, in order to deprive the Jews of ground for quibbling. Hence, on Matthew 10, verse 5, Go ye not into the way of the Gentiles, Jerome says, It behooved Christ's coming to be announced to the Jews first, lest they should have a valid excuse and say that they had rejected our Lord because he had sent his apostles to the Gentiles and Samaritans. Fourthly, because it was through the triumph of the cross that Christ merited power and lordship over the Gentiles. Hence it is written in Apocalypse 2, verses 26 and 28, He that shall overcome, I will give him power over the nations, as I also have received of my Father. And that because he became obedient unto the death of the cross, God hath exalted him that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and that every tongue should confess him, as is written in Philippians 2, verses 8 through 11. Consequently, he did not wish his doctrine to be preached to the Gentiles before his passion. It was after his passion that he said to his disciples, as is written in Matthew 28, verse 19, Going, teach ye all nations. For this reason, it was that when, shortly before his passion, certain Gentiles wished to see Jesus, he said, Unless the grain of wheat falling into the ground dieth, itself remaineth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. As is written in John 12, verses 20 through 25. 
And as Augustine says, commenting on this passage, he called himself the grain of wheat that must be mortified by the unbelief of the Jews, multiplied by the faith of the nations. Reply to Objection 1. Christ was given to be the light and salvation of the Gentiles through his disciples, whom he sent to preach to them. Reply to Objection 2. It is a sign not of lesser but of greater power to do something by means of others rather than by oneself. And thus the divine power of Christ was especially shown in this, that he bestowed on the teaching of his disciples such a power that they converted the Gentiles to Christ, although these had heard nothing of him. Now the power of Christ's teaching is to be considered in the miracles by which he confirmed his doctrine, in the efficacy of his persuasion, and in the authority of his words. For he spoke as being himself above the law when he said, But I say to you, as is written in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, verse 28, verse 32, verse 34, verse 39, verse 44, etc. And again, in the force of his righteousness shown in his sinless manner of life. Reply to Objection 3. Just as it was unfitting that Christ should at the outset make his doctrine known to the Gentiles equally with the Jews, in order that he might appear as being sent to the Jews as to the firstborn people. So neither was it fitting for him to neglect the Gentiles altogether, lest they should be deprived of the hope of salvation. For this reason, certain individual Gentiles were admitted, on account of the excellence of their faith and devotedness. Second article, whether Christ should have preached to the Jews without offending them. Objection 1. It would seem that Christ should have preached to the Jews without offending them. For as Augustine says in On Christian Struggle 11, In the man Jesus Christ, a model of life is given us by the Son of God. But we should avoid offending not only the faithful, but even unbelievers, according to 1 Corinthians 10.32. Be without offense to the Jews and to the Gentiles and to the church of God. Therefore, it seems that, in his teaching, Christ should also have avoided giving offense to the Jews. Objection to further. No wise man should do anything that will hinder the result of his labor. Now through the disturbance which his teaching occasioned among the Jews, it was deprived of its results, for it is written in Luke 11, verses 53 and 54, that when our Lord reproved the Pharisees and scribes, they began vehemently to urge him, and to oppress his mouth about many things, lying in wait for him, and seeking to catch something from his mouth, that they might accuse him. It seems, therefore, unfitting that he should have given them offense by his teaching. Objection 3. Further, the Apostle says in 1 Timothy 5.1, An ancient man rebuke not, but entreat him as a father. 
but the priests and princes of the jews were the elders of that people therefore it seems that they should not have been rebuked with severity on the contrary it was foretold in isaiah eight verse fourteen that christ would be for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offence to the two houses of israel i answer that the salvation of the multitude is to be preferred to the peace of any individuals whatsoever consequently when certain ones by their perverseness hinder the salvation of the multitude the preacher and the teacher should not fear to offend those men in order that he may ensure the salvation of the multitude now the scribes and pharisees and the princes of the jews were by their malice a considerable hindrance to the salvation of the people both because they opposed themselves to christ's doctrine which was the only way to salvation and because their evil ways corrupted the morals of the people for which reason our lord undeterred by their taking offence publicly taught the truth which they hated and condemned their vices hence we read in matthew fifteen verses twelve and fourteen that when the disciples of our lord said dost thou know that the pharisees when they heard this word were scandalized he answered let them alone they are blind and leaders of the blind and if the blind lead the blind both fall into the pit reply to objection one a man ought so to avoid giving offence as neither by wrong deed or word to be the occasion of anyone's downfall but if scandal arise from truth the scandal should be borne rather than the truth be set aside as gregory says in his homily number seven on ezekiel reply to objection to by publicly reproving the scribes and pharisees christ promoted rather than hindered the effect of his teaching because when the people came to know the vices of those men they were less inclined to be prejudiced against christ by hearing what was said of him by the scribes and pharisees who were ever withstanding his doctrine reply to objection three this saying of the apostle is to be understood of those elders whose years are reckoned not only in age and authority but also in probity according to numbers eleven sixteen gather unto me seventy men of the ancients of israel whom thou knowest to be ancients of the people but if by sinning openly they turn the authority of their years into an instrument of wickedness they should be rebuked openly and severely as also daniel says in daniel thirteen verse fifty two o thou that art grown old in evil days etc third article whether christ should have taught all things openly objection one it would seem that christ should not have taught all things openly for we read that he taught many things to his disciples apart as is seen clearly in the sermon at the supper wherefore he said 
that which you heard in the ear in the chambers shall be preached on the housetops translator's note st thomas probably quoting from memory combines matthew ten twenty seven with luke twelve three therefore he did not teach all things openly objection to further the depths of wisdom should not be expounded save to the perfect according to first corinthians two six we speak wisdom among the perfect now christ's doctrine contained the most profound wisdom therefore it should not have been made known to the imperfect crowd objection three further it comes to the same to hide the truth whether by saying nothing or by making use of a language that is difficult to understand now christ by speaking to the multitudes a language they would not understand hid from them the truth that he preached since without parables he did not speak to them as is recorded in matthew thirteen thirty four in the same way therefore he could have hidden it from them by saying nothing at all on the contrary he says himself in john eighteen twenty in secret i have spoken nothing i answer that anyone's doctrine may be hidden in three ways first on the part of the intention of the teacher who does not wish to make his doctrine known to many but rather to hide it and this may happen in two ways sometimes through envy on the part of the teacher who desires to excel in his knowledge wherefore he is unwilling to communicate it to others but this was not the case with christ in whose person the following words are spoken in wisdom seven thirteen which i have learned without guile and communicate without envy and her riches i hide not but sometimes this happens through the vileness of the things taught thus augustine says on john sixteen twelve there are some things so bad that no sort of human modesty can bear them wherefore of heretical doctrine it is written in proverbs nine seventeen stolen waters are sweeter now christ's doctrine is not of error nor of uncleanness according to first thessalonians two three wherefore our lord says in mark four twenty one doth a candle that is true and pure doctrine come in to be put under a bushel secondly doctrine is hidden because it is put before few and thus again did christ teach nothing in secret for he propounded his entire doctrine either to the whole crowd or to his disciples gathered together hence augustine says on john eighteen twenty how can it be said that he speaks in secret when he speaks before so many men especially if what he says to few he wishes through them to be made known to many thirdly doctrine is hidden as to the manner in which it is propounded 
and thus Christ spoke certain things in secret to the crowds by employing parables in teaching them spiritual mysteries which they were either unable or unworthy to grasp. And yet it was better for them to be instructed in the knowledge of spiritual things, albeit hidden under the garb of parables, than to be deprived of it altogether. Nevertheless, our Lord expounded the open and unveiled truth of these parables to his disciples, so that they might hand it down to others worthy of it, according to Second Timothy 2.2. The things which thou hast heard of me by many witnesses, the same command to faithful men, who shall be fit to teach others. This is foreshadowed in Numbers chapter 4, where the sons of Aaron are commanded to wrap up the sacred vessels that were to be carried by the Levites. Reply to Objection 1 As Hilary says, commenting on the passage quoted, We do not read that our Lord was wont to preach at night and expound his doctrine in the dark, but he says this because his speech is darkness to the carnal-minded, and his words are night to the unbeliever. His meaning, therefore, is that whatever he said we also should say in the midst of unbelievers, by openly believing and professing it. Or, according to Jerome, he speaks comparatively, that is to say, because he was instructing them in Judea, which was a small place compared with the whole world, where Christ's doctrine was to be published by the preaching of the apostles. Reply to Objection 2 by his doctrine our Lord did not make known all the depths of his wisdom, neither to the multitudes, nor indeed to his disciples, to whom he said in John 16.12, I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Yet whatever things out of his wisdom he judged it right to make known to others, he expounded not in secret but openly, although he was not understood by all. Hence Augustine says, on John 18.20, We must understand this. I have spoke openly to the world, as though our Lord had said, Many have heard me. And, again it was not, openly, because they did not understand. Reply to Objection 3. As stated above, our Lord spoke to the multitudes in parables, because they were neither able nor worthy to receive the naked truth which he revealed to his disciples. And when it is said that without parables he did not speak to them, according to Chrysostom in his homily 47 on the Gospel of Matthew, we are to understand this of that particular sermon, since on other occasions he said many things to the multitude without parables. Or, again, as Augustine says, in his Questions on the Gospel, question 17, this means, Not that he spoke nothing literally, but that he scarcely ever spoke without introducing a parable, although he also spoke some things in the literal sense. Fourth article. Whether Christ should have committed his doctrine to writing. Objection 1. It would seem that Christ should have committed his doctrine to writing. 
for the purpose of writing is to hand down doctrine to posterity now christ's doctrine was destined to endure forever according to luke twenty one thirty three heaven and earth shall pass away but my words shall not pass away therefore it seems that christ should have committed his doctrine to writing objection to further the old law was a foreshadowing of christ according to hebrews ten one the law has a shadow of the good things to come now the old law was put into writing by god according to exodus twenty four twelve i will give thee two tables of stone and the law and the commandments which i have written therefore it seems that christ also should have put his doctrine into writing objection three further to christ who came to enlighten them that sit in darkness according to luke one seventy nine it belonged to remove occasions of error and to open out the road to faith now he would have done this by putting his teaching into writing for augustine says in his consensus of the evangelists one that some there are who wonder why our lord wrote nothing so that we have to believe what others have written about him especially do the pagans ask this question who dare not blame or blaspheme christ and who ascribe to him most excellent but merely human wisdom these say that the disciples made out the master to be more than he really was when they said he was the son of god and the word of god by whom all things were made and farther on he adds it seems as though they were prepared to believe whatever he might have written of himself but not what others at their discretion published about him therefore it seems that christ should have himself committed his doctrine to writing on the contrary no books written by him were to be found in the canon of scripture i answer that it was fitting that christ should not commit his doctrine to writing first on account of his dignity for the more excellent the teacher the more excellent should be his manner of teaching consequently it was fitting that christ as the most excellent of teachers should adopt that manner of teaching whereby his doctrine is imprinted on the hearts of his hearers wherefore it is written in matthew seven twenty nine that he was teaching them as one having power and so it was that among the gentiles pythagoras and socrates who were teachers of great excellence were unwilling to write anything for writings are ordained as to an end unto the imprinting of doctrine in the hearts of the hearers secondly on account of the excellence of christ's doctrine which cannot be expressed in writing according to john twenty one twenty five there are also many other things which jesus did which if they were written every one the world itself i think would not be able to contain the books that should be written which augustine explains by saying we are not to believe that in respect of space the world could not contain them but that by the capacity of the readers they could not be comprehended 
and if Christ had committed his doctrine to writing, men would have had no deeper thought of his doctrine than that which appears on the surface of the writing. Thirdly, that his doctrine might reach all in an orderly manner, himself teaching his disciples immediately, and they subsequently teaching others by preaching and writing, whereas if he himself had written, his doctrine would have reached all immediately. Hence it is said of wisdom, in Proverbs 9.3, that she hath sent her maids to invite to the tower. It is to be observed, however, that, as Augustine says in his Consensus of the Evangelists, 1, some of the Gentiles thought that Christ wrote certain books treating of the magic art whereby he worked miracles, which art is condemned by the Christian learning. And yet they who claim to have read those books of Christ do none of those things which they marvel at his doing according to those same books. Moreover, it is by a divine judgment that they err so far as to assert that these books were, as it were, entitled as letters to Peter and Paul, for that they found them in several places depicted in company with Christ. No wonder that the inventors were deceived by the painters, for as long as Christ lived in the mortal flesh with his disciples, Paul was no disciple of his. Reply to Objection 1 As Augustine says in the same book, Christ is the head of all his disciples who are members of his body. Consequently, when they put into writing what he showed forth and said to them, by no means must we say that he wrote nothing, since his members put forth that which they knew under his dictation. For at his command they, being his hands, as it were, wrote whatever he wished us to read concerning his deeds and words. Reply to Objection 2 Since the old law was given under the form of sensible signs, therefore also was it fittingly written with sensible signs. But Christ's doctrine, which is, the law of the spirit of life, according to Romans 8.2, had to be written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of the heart, as the Apostle says in Second Corinthians 3.3. 3. Reply to Objection 3. Those who were unwilling to believe what the Apostles wrote of Christ would have refused to believe the writings of Christ whom they deemed to work miracles by the magic art. End of question 42 Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.